Here they come! Hello and welcome to episode 58 of Effectively Speaking, the podcast that takes a look at some of the special effects sequences of film and television, be they classic, average or duff. I'm your host Eric Moore and today I'm joined by Derek Boys to discuss the cantina sequence in Star Wars, from Ben and Co going in to Han sauntering out. Come on, come on! Switch over. Let's hope we don't have a burnout. Hello Derek. <laughs> Hi Eric, how you doing? I'm fine, I'm fine. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. You being a newbie and all that. I mean, you're a newbie to the show, but you're you're not a newbie to me because uh, we've known each other since, what, 94, something like that? Yeah, some 90, yeah 90, 93, 94, yeah, probably late 93, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll just point out to the listeners um, uh, that Derek and I, we worked at uh, the Maidstone Cinema, and uh, that's where we uh, met each other, and that's where we had lots of escapades, um, <laughs> recreating Blade Runner up on the roof on that hot summer of 94 was one of them. Um, and, and, and we also very much often talked about Star Wars. That's how come I initially knew that you were a Star Wars fan. And um, it's customary on this show for the co-host to give their background to the subject, but with you, you're, you're a bit unusual in that you've got more of a background to Star Wars than most, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, certainly not at that time. But, uh, I mean, I was an avid Star Wars fan um, when I first met you and had no idea of sort of where, <laughs> what direction my my uh, life was going to go in. But, yeah, I mean, I, I um, studied uh, media production, film and video at Newcastle. And then um, when I was coming to the end of that degree course, a friend of mine who was a couple of years above me, um, she'd already gone out into the industry to try and find running work and um, find, found it very difficult, but eventually got a job as a runner. I think it was a projectionist, um, projecting the rushes for uh, Mortal Kombat Annihilation, um, which was at Leaveston Studios um, in, just outside Watford. And um, as that film wrapped up, as they were leaving, uh, the Phantom Menace were moving in and she got a job as a runner and then subsequently about a month later she became um the producer's assistant rick mccallum as assistant and she phoned me and had a conversation on the phone she knew i was a big star wars fan and she just said um go and buy yourself a mobile phone so i went down to the local orange store and bought a brick um student phone <laughs> and and i i kept it with me everywhere and i just stared at it waiting for it to ring and eventually it did ring and uh, and she offered me a job as a second assistant, no, sorry, second unit um, floor runner. And I went down to Leavesden, had an interview for that. Um, I didn't get it because they decided they didn't have the budget for one. And so at least I'd seen a brief part of a set and I was quite excited by that. And then a couple of weeks later, she phoned up and said, um, actually, we need some um, stuff doing in the office, just paperwork, tidying up and filing. And so I said yes, and that that week turned into two weeks, and then at the end of that two weeks, um, the publicity department phoned up and said we we need a uh, stills assistant. Do you know anybody? And she goes, I've got the man right in front of me. I'll send him downstairs, and that was it. I was on the on the film for the rest of the duration, which was amazing, really. Um, 
didn't go didn't go on location to Italy or or uh, Tunisia, but uh, but you know had a, had a, a fantastic summer just watching how such a big film um, is made, and obviously um, being a Star Wars fan, it was the perfect film to sort of come out of university from. When you were on it, when 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 you were you know on set there and you were doing all your stuff, did you have a gut feeling that oh this is going to be a bit different to what we're used to, or did, could well, you get I'm, a feel that it, it it wasn't quite what we had seen so far? Um, well, I was one of the I was one of the few crew members to have uh, to be privileged enough to read the script in it, script from page from the start to the beginning um, from from. Uh, very early on usually it's head of departments that get to read the script but because we were um, because I was doing stills and I was cataloging uh, hundreds of thousands of stills that were taken during the production I had to know every single crew member's name character's name um, prop costume you know um, all the all the all the pod races and stuff all the names of those things so I, in, at some point I was probably one of the most knowledgeable people about um, Phantom Menace <laughs> in the world um, but because because we needed to know that I needed to know the story, and so therefore we got the opportunity to read the script. I went off somewhere in, in Leveson, which is basically an old Rolls Royce factory. I found a small room and just sat there for three hours and read read the script. And you know, I was excited, and I, I didn't see anything out of the ordinary. And I remember vividly. I remember when Anakin Skywalker left his mother. There's a scene where he leaves his mother. I remember being in tears at that point. So. Um, you know, I suppose there, there was obviously strength in the script at some point, but maybe the direction wasn't quite strong and didn't or come across the casting. Yeah, I was going to say the casting was, um, you know, was flawed in that sense because I don't think certainly European audiences didn't find um, Anakin particularly um, good at convincing, you know. <laughs> mm, mm. And, I mean, today we're not talking Phantom Menace, we're talking... Star Wars. I never call it a New Hope. It's Star Wars to me. It is Star um, Wars to me too. Yeah. Yeah. If, if, if you're going to call it a New Hope, then you're calling it Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, aren't you? Which is <laughs> yeah. just yeah. just is nonsense. So yeah, we're talking Star Wars today. We're talking Cantina sequence. Uh, before we begin, um, is this your favourite of the Star Wars films? Star Wars. Um, it's, mm. it's it's um it's my second favourite. Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, just because it's so beautiful and the character depth. Um, I. I I like it best, but saying that, uh, every time I do watch Star Wars, I'm always surprised how how brilliant it is, really. Mm. <laughs> uh, how entertaining and and not just entertaining and and but you know it's it's a lot less complex than the <clears throat> than the later films, and obviously it had a had a very small budget, and I just think with all that in consideration, it still stands up as a, a thoroughly entertaining film. And even my daughter can watch it without sort of blinking an eyelid and going, Daddy, this looks silly or, you know, this is out of date, you know. <clears throat> We've mentioned this on the show before. Sometimes, you know, you'll have effects which, yes, they, they could <coughs> maybe look dated now, but in the big picture, if you the, forgive the pun, you know, you allow it because, you know, it has a charm to it and you've got your nostalgic memory. I mean, a lot of these, I've seen a lot of the big people, you know, they'll be talking about Rogue One or they'll be talking about The Force Awakens and that, and they'll they'll rank it higher than, say, you know, Return of the Jedi or the first Star Wars. But it's, and I'm thinking, yeah, but with the original trilogy, you've got all that nostalgia element and you've got 30, 40 years worth of viewing and viewing and viewing. You know, I can't, I can't 
I can't gauge these new films because I haven't got that distance of time of what, mind you, some of the new ones I don't want to watch over and over again. So, um, but for me, no, this the original Star Wars is is always going to be my favourite, and I think a lot of part a lot of it is to do with the fact that I was sixteen when it came out, but I was like eighteen or nineteen when I saw Empire Strikes Back, so I had grown up a bit by then so the first star wars to me i've got i've got that veil of you know nostalgia wrapped up in it you were you were still just young enough to for it to capture your imagination um i think yeah as as, whereas empire jedi you're a bit older and uh, maybe uh into other things as well as (laughs) uh star wars but also i mean when when i first saw i mean if anybody who sees star wars first before any of the other ones you know it's a terrific standalone film isn't it you know um you know it's got beginning a middle and an end you've got a bad guy you've got a threat the good guys win at the end and there are lines throughout the film which are incredibly evocative um you know um you know there's mention of the clone wars but you don't actually see it so in your mind you've got to try and like Imagine what was that that was like. What Luke's father's name was, because of course he wasn't named in the first one. Um, how come he was the best star pilot? You know, how come he and Ben were friends? And you know, in my mind, you know, he, Luke's father was the same age as Ben. You know, they were contemporaries. And also, what a Jedi Knight looks like. I was always remember trying to th- imagine what does a Jedi Knight look like to me. When you see Ben Kenobi in his little um, hovel there on Tatooine. To me, he was always undercover. He's a crazy old hermit. That's how crazy old hermits dress. Yeah, that's but then George Lucas that. went, no, that's the that's the uniform of a Jedi Knight. And it's like, well, hang on a minute. If he's undercover, you know, <laughs> on this backwater planet, and, and he's an ex-Jedi Knight, why is he still dressed as a Jedi Knight? You know? <laughs> There's a lot of hoods and cloaks to be swinging around a lightsaber with, isn't there? <laughs> that's not I mean, what a knight looks like. If you had a knight in medieval times going up in a war dressed like that he'd be creamed in the first two minutes he was you know i always assumed that his his hood and his you know was was to, to hide his identity to kind of keep a low profile you know yeah he's um, undercover he, he was yeah, undercover that's an undercover hobo outfit definitely <laughs> yeah yeah and also yeah. that i have to say that 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 scene where he explains to luke about darth vader killing his father he betrayed he betrayed and murdered your father i love that, that whole story that whole section i think alec guinness does an amazing job because not only does he get across what the force is he gets the whole backstory as well in terms of what happened to to luke's father and everything else and and as you say it just brings up so many thoughts and imaginations of what that could possibly be and Mm. and that's one of the most genius things about star wars the first one is that just through performance someone's amazing performance you can get so much it's so rich and it's something that you know the last jedi could learn from to be honest yeah yeah because you are you're plonked down into this galaxy far far away in very sparse dialogue as you say delivered very very well you're given the back all the backstory you need even as you say your daughter a a a three four-year-old can watch this and get it and understand it you know you don't need everything explaining do you you just need a hint of it that puts you on the right path so your imagination can go off in the right direction you know yeah all that that gap between star wars and empire strikes back you had the marvel comics which continued the the tale and everything but you you've got all these questions in your head and your imagination fills in the blanks you know and that's what was so terrific about it to me star wars is a perfect film it would have been perfect 
as a standalone. It doesn't need Empire Strikes Back. It doesn't need Return of the Jedi. You, you could have just had this as a perfect standalone film, and it, and I would have been happy with that, no problem. Just like E.T. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Which I think is the only is the only film that's never been remade or sequeled. <laughs> Seems oh. to me these days. <laughs> No, we're not going there. We're staying with a classic today. We've yes. uh, late, lately on the show we've had a few uh, duff segments. We're we're back on form today, so um, we're going to differ from usual what we do on the show. Uh, we're not going to have a behind the scenes after the discussion of the clip. Um, I thought instead we'll we'll just talk about each element as we go along, um, and also I'm also going to mention um, to to listeners that we're talking about the original cantina sequence but along the way we'll also be mentioning the changes that were made for the special edition and then the blu-ray okay good all right uh, having said all that let's go ahead and have the clip doesn't like you. I'm sorry. I don't like you either. You just watch yourself. We're wanted men. I have the death sentence on 12 systems. I'll be careful. You'll be dead! This little one's not worth the effort. Come, let me get you some. Okay, right, so the cantina is in Mos Eisley, but the filming of it spanned three locations. Um, the exterior was filmed at a place called Ajim, which is a small fishing port on the Tunisian island of Djerba, which I'd love to go to. Um, that's a, a, a place that I'd like to go and visit, but, you know, the modern world being the way it is now, you know, I, th I think a lot of Tunisia is designated as off-limits to tourists because it's, it's a war zone now, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I, I know certainly the the sets that still exist from episode one uh, was at one point turned into a tourist attraction, and now it's uh, it's it's off limits just because of uh, terrorism and all the state of Middle East and everything. So, which is which is sad and unfortunate. But it, it will, I'm sure, there'll be a point where it'll be safe again and people can go and see these places. I tell you what, um, I don't know if you were still working at the cinema at the time, but uh, me and my wife we went off to Tunisia on holiday. Uh, once and one day we had a choice of getting on a coach and going across the desert to the Lars homestead where they filmed because it's a hotel isn't it it's like an yes. it's an underground hotel um, we could either go there or we could go to Tunis uh, the capital city and visit these uh, museums and art galleries and I was I'm in an R and it's like I don't want to spend two hours on a coach going across Luke the home, desert Luke home. <laughs> But so I never did. We we, we chose the other option, and I blimey, I wish I had now. I really See, did. It, it, um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I would have to. Well, I'd have to argue with my wife to be honest. But if, uh, but I would definitely want to go there just because it's so, such an iconic um, location, isn't it? I mean, it's it's, yeah. 
it's where it's where that famous bit where Luke stands on that, uh, just puts his foot up onto the twin sons and looks out, and it's that it's that iconic image of um, a boy and his dreams and looking to the future yeah. for whatever. It's beautiful, you know. Uh, it would be enough for me to just stand on the rim of that hotel looking down, you know, where, um, you know, he looks down and Aunt Beru goes, Luke, Luke, and, you know, yeah. t- tell Uncle if he gets a droid. Um, to just look down onto on, onto that, that would have been enough for me all that way. But I never did, and I'm a bloody idiot for it, because <laughs> it doesn't look like anybody will be able to go back there now. <laughs> no, oh, no. well. All right. No. So, yeah, the, the, the exterior was in on this island of Tunisia. Um now, the initial filming of the interior was done at Elstree Studios. Yes. Um, with later pickups uh, done in Hollywood. We'll, we'll come across this as, as we go along. Okay. Um, I don't know if you know this, Derek, but initially, um, this was meant to be the first time you see any aliens in the film. There were no Jala, Jawas, or Tuscan Raiders. This was meant to be the very first time you saw any aliens in the film, and George Lucas wanted it to be a shock to people. And I think maybe that's why the um, the very first alien that we're going to be discussing, when he pops his head up like that, he's like a T-shaped alien, isn't he? You know, I, I think that is, you know, almost meant to be a shock horror moment because he just pops up into frame like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, that that would make perfect sense. Yeah, uh, I didn't I didn't know that, and um, and that's quite interesting because um, yeah, you know, it's creative ideas, and uh, and at some point he obviously decided that it didn't work, or that you needed to see something more beforehand. But I, I suppose maybe maybe at that point the running time has gone so long that you for a Star Wars universe that's you know full of aliens that not seeing one may 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 look a bit odd. But I suppose certainly, I mean Jawas. And um, sand people are are human shaped, aren't they? At mm. least, you know, they got two legs and two two hands. Whereas, that yeah, that was a more of a T shaped, yeah. strange, strange yeah. uh, creature. And of course, uh, of course, on the original poster, you had Chewbacca, but he was the only alien on that initial, you know, publicity. You only ever saw Chewbacca and Darth Vader. They were the only non-human faced. Uh, characters that you saw anywhere on any um posters or anything yeah all right so for the aliens uh it was stuart freeborn very famous name in um star wars uh backstories uh it was stuart freeborn who was given the job initially of the aliens in the original um um interior He, he was working with his wife and his son and six assistants to make the aliens and they were basically just doing the heads. And John Mollo, another famous name to do with Star Wars, um, sat down with um, George Lucas. And according to John Mollo, um, George Lucas, uh, it says here, he wanted so many peasants, so many Martians, so many space pilots, so many pirates. And that was tied into how many heads Stuart could produce. Then it was a question of getting together with Stuart and making sure the heads and the costumes fitted together. So you had Stuart Freeborn making these masks, and then you had John Mollo making costumes, and then the two of them would like mix and match until they found uh, a combination that actually worked. <laughs> it sounds like some sort of uh, game, card game, where you change the heads of outfits and yeah, <laughs> and, and, and faces. Um, yeah, well, that's an interesting way of working. I mean, uh, I suppose it, it sounds like a very budget way of working, and um, and I think yeah they. They they changed. I mean, as he got more money, he was able to just 
get loads of aliens and costumes put together and and presented to him. But um, but yeah, I mean, Stuart Freeborn is is is, is iconic as a crew member for the Star Wars, and um, I particularly like the fact that that they modelled Yoda on his face. <laughs> and yeah. I don't I don't know if many people have seen since um, Stuart Freeborn, but if you if you Google his his name. In, in images you'll see you'll see he looks just like yoda um, there's a very um lovely shot of him gurning next to the yoda puppet isn't there i'll, I'll put it up on the facebook page yeah and he does he looks almost identical and i i, I never met him but he he comes across as, as a very gentle and, and nice man and um i would have loved to have worked with him yeah yeah um th but there was a problem and that problem was that um Stuart Freeborn and his team, they were rushed to create the masks as the cantina sequence, it, it had been brought forward by a week and George Lucas kept wanting more and more aliens. So the pressure was on there. And then a few weeks before filming was due to start, Stuart was taken ill and had to go to hospital. So they didn't get all the aliens finished that they wanted. So the ones that they did have, which were meant to be background characters, were suddenly brought forward and became key ones. Right. Okay. So yeah, that so that didn't pan out quite right, and also Stuart's illness meant that the Greedo mask, it wasn't finished and therefore not expressive enough, and the hands weren't flexible enough to hold the blaster. Yeah. Um, now we're going to mention that when we get to the bit about um, Han and Greedo facing off about what what <laughs> they did to get round that. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that 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 was the initial filming at Elstree. Um with not enough aliens and the aliens they did have weren't exactly the, what we now call like the hero heads. Um, so George Lucas dissatisfied with the cut that he had of the scene. He decided on further filming once they had all gone back to the U S uh, to pad the cantina out with more aliens. And that's where we get yet another famous name um, appear. And that's Rick, Rick Baker. Oh yeah. Yeah. Now, Rick Baker got the job because he had a friend, an artist friend, who was a friend of Dennis Muren, who was already working on the show. And Dennis Muren had said that uh, they were looking for somebody to come up with some new aliens. Um, so Rick Baker went for it. He got it. But it was on the understanding that only Stuart Freeborn would get credit on the film, as he was the primary artist. Okay. Yeah. And Rick Baker was happy with that. He agreed with that. And he started with his team, uh, which consisted of some other um, rather famous uh, special effects people now. Uh, John Berg, Phil Tippett, Lane Lisker, and Doug Beswick. Okay. Um, do you know much about this, what I'm saying right now, Derek? I do, I do, I do know. I don't know quite so many details, but I certainly know, you know, I, I knew that the, um, that the canteen se sequence was not, uh, didn't, didn't work too well and that it was reshot in America. Hmm. Uh, and, um, yeah, I know a lot of these names. I mean, Phil Tippett particularly is one of my uh, – I'm, I'm a fan of um, just for his stop-motion work in Empire Strikes Back. Mm. Uh, I thought that it was, it was amazing, some of that stuff, some of the Tonton sequences. Um, but, yeah, so I, I, I'm, I know kind of what you're doing, but there's – I didn't know that Stuart Freeborn was ill. I didn't know. <laughs> that's why they <laughs> – uh, that's why they had uh, some unfinished Greedo costumes, which, you know, um, when you look at the, the the photographs and stuff, he does. You know, you can see that it's not. It, it's a very crude mask compared to something like Chewbacca, for instance. Yes. You know, 
indeed indeed um yeah. what you said what you said back there a lot of people uh, make that mistake they, they reckon it was refilmed it wasn't really re refilmed what they did is they they filmed additional scenes um they didn't recreate the cantina all they basically did was recreate no, the cantina alcove you, you, yeah you know basically the cantina is circular with alcoves all the way around and I'm, and I'm pretty sure it was shot in ilm at ilm they didn't i uh, no, I've, I've got it here it, it was at dovington's small studio on la brea avenue all right yeah. <laughs> yeah so okay. it was it was obviously a, a tiny little place and that's you know i mean when even when they were doing pickups for um Phantom Menace, you know, often it was just a small corner, and it was a, mm. it was a, it was one, <laughs> two, two panels for a wall and a, and a desk and a table or whatever it was, yeah. and that was it. You know? Because pickups generally involve close-ups, um, so you don't need the full, full set. Yeah, a a, a good a, a good clue as to what is you know um, this secondary filming is this new Cantina alcove actually had a window which at Elstree, the, the cantina didn't. So if you watch that, anything that's got a window was filmed in L.A., okay? okay. And also and it... Rick Baker said that, uh, here's a quote from him, I think at that point George wanted like seven monsters. Well, we were all fans of science fiction films. All of us wanted the opportunity to show what we could really do, so we did a lot more work than what we were paid for. Okay. <laughs> so that... Do you know who, yeah. who designed which which artist designed the musicians in in most obviously canteen? I'm coming up to that. Okay. Ah. <laughs> so what I thought they're, they're I sorry. one of my favourite looking aliens. All right. So what I thought we would do, we'll we're going to go through the cantina um, scene by scene. All right. Okay. So yeah. here we go. That, that that was the preamble out of the way. So let's get into the actual. Um, uh, scenes itself so we're going to start just outside okay uh, you've got luke ben and the droids they approach the cantina okay um and of course this is the exterior it was filmed on that island off the coast of tunisia um you've got a dew back um corralled opposite the door and mm. there's three jawas lounging on the floor um I've always thought those three Jawas have they been turned away from the cantina, or do you think they're drunk and passed out and they've already been in? <laughs> um, that's a good point, actually. Uh, <laughs> I kind of um, yeah, because when they're 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 sort of hassling them, aren't they? When they get out of the uh, yeah. sand uh, sand speeder, and uh, I always yeah, it's always it's always <laughs> to me it always reminded me of uh, teenagers hanging outside off license asking if you if you can go and get some booze for you. you know, <laughs> I never thought about it, but yeah, I, I, I imagine that they wouldn't be allowed in there. I mean, there's certainly you don't see anyone in there, do you? Any jowers? No, um, and and that I mean, you know, the bartender, he he's he's picky about droids going in there, so maybe yeah, yeah he's picky about jawas as well. And because they're small and deserty, they they might just be kind of like too lower class to be able to, <laughs> to yeah. enter. You know, they you might be, be begging. A... They might be begging yeah. as well. You know, yeah, because so, they yeah. get scraps of robot and stuff don't they so yeah but that dewback i mean that that's the dewback i mean it's a lovely sculpture um yeah. i'll put facebook photos up but um it, it was a stationary creature it didn't move at all so it's it's just stood there okay did it not move at i thought it moved a little bit as in no as I, in... I mean in this scene it doesn't do anything it's just standing oh, I see, there. Yeah, yeah yeah and uh, to the right we've got a really nifty round shape 
I don't know if it's a speeder or if it's a, a, a droid or something, but it's a whacking great big round ball thing. It's obviously, um, you know, a Roger Christian special. It's really nifty design, but I, there's an awful lot of EU um, to Star Wars. I don't know how much you're aware of, but virtually everything that's in Star Wars, any of the films, has got a backstory. All the characters have names, you know, and backstories. Um, yeah. And uh, But I've never seen any mention about what that was. But it is really nice. Yeah, yeah. I could see you would like that because of all your little model-making antics. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I want to make one. I want to make one. Right, change, the first change of the sequence is here for the uh, special edition. The The static dewback has been changed to a CGI one. Yeah. And, um, and there's spaceships in the sky and you've got more people going into the cantina. I don't know why they've decided to put more people going into the cantina, but they have. Yeah. It's um, maybe overkill, or just as in there's no. It's not overkill because if you, I suppose if you saw that as as, a, as an original, you wouldn't question it. But it's, it just seems irrelevant, doesn't it? <laughs> overkill is a very good word for a lot of the changes that were done well, to the yeah, Star Wars they've, films. They've it's not... just chucking too much stuff in there. There's just too much going on. Um, yeah. I mean, it's not the sequence now, but, you know, the bit where they come in into Mos Eisley and they're driving down the street, that was absolutely fine, and the pacing was fine, and the music went with it. Yeah. But now you've got all this ridiculous thing where you've got a Jawa on that big Ronto or it's whatever it's, it's called. It's, it's, isn't it? It's, 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 it's kind of acrobats going on, comedy clowns. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's yeah. just, oh, it's nonsense. It's like, no, 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 no. What'd you do that for? I mean, I mean, it's George Lucas's, you know, sandbox. He He's made it. He can play in it. You know, if he wants to make changes, I ain't going to stop him. But no, 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 I'd rather have the original, thanks. Yeah, simple. All right. Way. Yeah, so anyway, here we go. We, we cut to the inside and up pops that T-shaped alien. Um, totally in sync with the cantina music. That's right. Um, now, of course, this is the the very first alien we see in the cantina, and it's one of the uh, the US shots. This was done in in America, um, and this T shaped alien was uh, sculpted by Rick Baker and operated by Rick Baker. That's Rick Baker's arm up inside ah. him, making him pop up. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, and he's got he's got it's a he. He's got a backstory. This alien, he's called Hem Dazon. Okay. All right. I just thought I'd tell you that. <laughs> so yeah, that's a Rick Baker creation. Uh, next, we get the Wolfman with the glowing eyes in the background. Yeah. Yeah. Who fans have called Erliel Ur Schlosh, or something like that, and along with a black-eyed creature with the horn on his forehead, who's called Born Vimdin. Okay. Is that like the bald guy with a smiley face? Good. Yeah. Yeah. Good tune. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's America. So so far, we haven't seen anything filmed in England, um, right? Which is interesting because uh, just as a side note, is that um, you know famous, it's famous that George Lucas didn't like the Cantina sequence, and I think a lot of people assume that he doesn't like the final cut, you know, the final version that we we know and love. But uh, but it'd be interesting to see what the original cut was like and how bad some of those masks were, and then you might appreciate a little bit more why he was unhappy. But but um, yeah, I know, I, think... I know. Yeah, I know there is on YouTube there is raw footage of the cantina yeah. sequence where it's you've got cool. all the people like the bartender and that. He's talking from like East London and that, isn't he? Oh, right, governor, yeah, because they. Well, no, we'll, we'll talk about that when we when we reach him. Okay. 
Um, so yeah, that that was an American bit. We next get a two-horned guy and an ugly alien um, by the window. So <laughs> this was done in America. Um, that two-horned guy, I never liked him. I never liked the design of him. He's got, he's got, he's got a two horns and a, I don't know what he looks like. Um, but no, no. Um, and, but there was a change, and you know, again with with the special editions with the blu-rays sometimes there are changes that are made and it's like well, what's the point because what yeah. i did with the with this I, I watched the original and then immediately watched the special edition and there is a change here to this two-horned guy uh yeah. where they've made his eyes uh glow red in the special edition yeah yeah hey he's there for about what three seconds and they've gone to the effort of making his eyes glow redder <laughs> this is it i mean i don't know people will just play um i mean I, I, it's like the it's like the blue the blue rays as well it's like the color grading is awful it's all got it's all all the flesh tones are kind of uh magenta yeah and and and, and you just think oh, i don't understand what, why why you did it but there's and there's tiny little details that that people have adjusted for whatever reason whether it's george or whether it's just tinkering by the part of the of the remasterers but um and yet there's gaping holes where you think why why didn't they fix that 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 Mm -hmm. would have been a great opportunity to change you know to 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 turn that into something a little bit more realistic or a little bit more dramatic you know maybe that's Uh, further down the line you never know yeah Right, so we're back to the red-eyed wolfman, and he's having a drink, and he pulls a cup down to reveal his snarling mouth. I mean, you know, that's a cheap trick. You know, he, he's, it, it's a pullover mask that Rick, make, uh, Rick Baker made with, yeah. with a snarl, fixed snarl. So what you do is you hold the cup in front of him and then pull it down, and it looks like he's had a drink, and now he's snarling. I think even children know that that's, <laughs> that's a cheap trick, and that mouth doesn't move. Was that an early design for the American werewolf? <laughs> yeah. yeah apparently it was a mask that rick baker just had on the shelf and yeah. uh and thought oh we could use that and took it yeah, along yeah. um now this i don't mind this as a change because this was changed um from for the special edition they they, they completely replaced him because it is it, it looks like what it is it's a it's a werewolf mask in a fixed snarl but they replaced it with that really crappy cgi pipe smoking alien wearing that yeah. floppy hat thing and it was oh it's like it that, that doesn't <laughs> it doesn't fit aesthetically with any of the other creatures that you see in this sequence it just looks daft yeah mm. you know the way he smokes as well as is kind of as if he's far too posh for this <laughs> we've then got a reaction shot of luke and c3po because they they've come in and we see what what they see, which is a wide shot of the cantina. Now this is the original set now, um, and if if you look at that or if you pause it, it does look really quite sparse. You've only got maybe what ten patrons around the bar. There's not much going on at all. And is there is there are most of those human? Yeah, and and they're mainly all humans. Yeah, <clears throat> uh, we've next got this this little fellow. He, he's a little mouse. Bat guys at the bar, isn't he? You know, and uh, <laughs> trying to order a drink. He's called Cabe. He's been given a name called Cabe. The only thing I don't like, he's, he's, he's nice. He's a bit too real world. But what I don't like is that's a real world squeak. That's a proper mouse squeak that he does. Yeah. Um, 
It's, it's a rare instance, I think, of Ben Burt not being that imaginative. I mean, he's got yeah. something that looks like a mouse. I know, I'm going to make it squeak like a mouse. It's like, yeah, oh, come it's, on. It's, come it's on, bigger ben. than that, so it would have a deeper squeak or something. Do you know what I mean? It would, it would, its throat would be slightly sounding different. Yeah, yeah. All right, um, what we got next? Yeah, we've got the devil guy smiling. Oh, yeah. That, that, that rather sinister devil guy. Um, and then we cut to the band. Now... The band, this is all US. In the original cut of the cantina, there was no music. There was no band. Wow. All right. <clears throat> so I don't know what the acoustics would have been like in there if you haven't got any. Maybe there was background. Maybe there's a jukebox somewhere or something like that. But, um, yeah, no, here we are. Here, here's the band. The uh, Now, there was one mask made, sculpted by Rick Baker. Um, and then Doug Beswick, he took moulds of that and then produced all the other band members. One of the band members, and I'm not sure which one it is, is actually Rick Baker himself. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So not only is he creating the creatures for this, he is a creature for this. You know, he's got an acting credit. <laughs> all right. And then we go over to Ben and Ben's at the bar and he's talking to the 70s sideburns guy there. Oh, yeah, with a, with a spacesuit on. Yeah, now, he's been given the name Boshek, okay, in the EU, okay? Mm -hmm. I love him because what I love about Star Wars is it's it's timeless a lot of the time. You know, it could be, you know, it doesn't date apart from the sideburns. There are no <laughs> there are no flares in, in this film. There are no. no perms in this film. There are no afros in this perm, in, in this film. But you do have sideburns and that's, that, yeah, here and some of the officers on the Death Star. I mean, yeah. And even, even even Han Solo's got uh, small sideburns. Um, yeah. Um, but but I but I have to say, um, for hair and makeup, um, they did a brilliant job and and wardrobe to to make those timeless because I think but certainly Return of the Jedi, the hairstyles were getting a bit eighties mm. um, whiffy, weren't they? Um, yeah. And I and I think with 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 so much that was going on in the seventies, the temptation to to um, you know, to give them seventies elements to their costume, but restraining restraining from doing that, I think, was was um, um, amazing because it, as you say, it, it makes it timeless and uh, uh, and that and that goes across the whole board, even the production design and stuff, just with uh, Roger Christian's idea of oily, dirty kind of mm. world, rather than what traditionally sci-fi had been was sort of smooth and slick, you know. Yeah. Uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, I mean, only what two years before this, one year, maybe eighteen months, you had Logan's Run, which yeah. has dated because you have got proper seventy. You've got Farrah Fawcett with a blow wave. You've got flares. You've got your cliche, um, you know, science fiction shiny sets and stuff like that. And and Sorry, it, 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 it was a radical change when Star Wars came along. It was, yeah. Uh, and that's and, and I mean you know I was I was six when I saw it and so I I had no no idea sort of what I'd been before you know I just saw what I saw and and liked it and it's only sort of when you get older you realise what a phenomenal change that must have been mm. and that, I think that's why it had such a big reaction because people thought oh my god what is this but yeah. you know just you telling me about um, <laughs> having reshot this and reshot this and I've heard a lot about. Um, the making of Star Wars and how difficult it was for George, um, and and even you know how his his wife sort of pretty much saved it in the edit and took out mm. all his di diabolical um, dialogue, 
and uh, and you just think it's it's a, you realize it's a complete miracle that this film actually <laughs> is as good as it is you know yes. I mean, just one of those elements could have gone wrong and that would have been it you know they they definitely captured lightning in a bottle everything yeah. it, it was synchronicity everything gelled everything came together everybody worked together and yeah you're absolutely right and, and this... you have to put your hats off to george as well for just continually um trying to get it better and better you know so yeah. you know, any other person would have given up on a budget that he was given for this it was such a stupid budget for that for the ambition and yet he just carried on and no matter how you know the british crew taking the mickey out of him and all the sort of <laughs> the backlash that he had to face and mm. still got made and you've got you know i i really respect george foot for for pushing that hard and, and finally getting it out there even though it's probably a completely different film to what he originally yeah. <laughs> imagined or wrote you know yeah um you mentioned roger christian there and yeah yeah absolutely he was the guy that came up with the idea of um you know repurposing um world war ii weapons into blasters um stripping out old airplanes and and dressing you know the interiors of uh you know the ships but uh we've got an earlier version of this uh instance with this guy with boshek the 70s sideburns guy the um spacesuit that he's wearing it's a black version of an raf pressure suit it's the same thing that bosk wears in oh, yeah. empire strikes yeah. back he wears a yellow one uh, Bo Sheck here is wearing a black one um, and as I say it's an XRAF pressure suit um, but 10 years before Star Wars were made, was made um, these turned up in a Doctor Who these exact same pressure suits turned up in a Patrick Troughton Doctor Who story so a precedent had been set earlier to actually use ex-military wear in science fiction and this is, and, but this is also sort of testament of uh, of the um, of how people make low budget stuff. Because Doctor Who didn't have a big budget either, and 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 this is how you kind of get around those difficulties of no budget is is trying to find things that are pre made that still look <laughs> alien but also familiar. You know, yeah. it's a very clever idea. Yeah, absolutely right. All right, so Luke and C three PO they go to go down the stairs, and there's a sound. And a panel on the wall lights up. Um, I've, now I've never made the, I never ever made the connection between the two, but apparently that's a droid detector. Uh. Okay, that light goes off and that sound goes because um, C3PO and R2D2 have set it off. This person's um, got metal in them. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. that's what I was going to say. Why do you need a droid detector? A droid looks like a droid. <laughs> you know, you don't need a, a working great big panel on the wall to tell you that. Unless there's cyborgs that, are, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger walked in, then would he get detected otherwise? Maybe <laughs> that's knows? what it is. But, I mean, you know, even if that detector wasn't there, what? why aren't droids allowed in there? What are they going to try and order from the bar? You know, are they going to try and order oil or something and just waste the bartender's time? Or what? Why, why are droids going to be a nuisance in a bar? It's because they can't order drinks, and so therefore they're not going to put, pay any money, and all they're doing is filling up the bar. Where other people who do have money and can drink uh, <laughs> can't can't get in. But why, but why would they go in a bar? They're gonna they're gonna waste an alcove. They're gonna sit down and just talk, are they? All right, okay. So you got the bartender. Um, the EU has given him the name of Were. He tells Luke that they don't serve their kind. Okay. Um, now he's played by a guy uh, uh, called Ted Burnett. 
all right and he's an he he was basically an extra he wasn't an actor as i say if you go on youtube and you see the original dialogue version of this yeah, yeah. he he ain't no actor um <laughs> and he he was from somewhere called the ugly agency um back in the 70s oh, yeah. there, there there was a casting agency called the ugly agency i think it's yeah. Uh, it, it it does, but it's been renamed and it's more politically correct. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll have to dig it out. I've got a photo of of the flyer for it, and I and it's it, it's for ugly people, you know. Yeah, and I, I certainly had there was volumes of it um, when I was working on films as well. There was always volumes around in the in the um, ad's office, mm -hmm. um, and they were just you know interesting people. I mean, you know, maybe that's what they should call it. <laughs> for PC, interesting people. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you know, they were just they were just characters that you just you wouldn't find anywhere else. You know, um, just mm -hmm. break uh, brilliant faces that you just want to fill that kind of background with, I suppose. Yeah, that, well, they've got character, haven't they? You know, they're not bland. Yeah. 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 And we've got another one coming up soon. But next, we've got um, a reaction shot from an alien. Star Wars in character have not done him, and I really wish they would do him. It, he's been given the name Nubron Leds. Um, you know who he is. He's a guy basically <clears throat> just wearing a World War One gas mask. <laughs> yeah. He's got some sort of mask on underneath to give him like a bulbous head, but he's just got a, a, a bog-standard World War One gas mask. It doesn't look like any Greeblies have been stuck on it at all or anything, but I want to know his backstory. Yeah. Because um, I want to, I want to know how you drink wearing that gas mask. Do you like, you know, pour your drink down the pipe or what? I was going to say, yeah, he probably he probably drinks it from from his stomach level or something from a straw that's attached to his uh, to his gas mask. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you see him there. You've also got the two. It, it it's rare that you've got you know standard humans at, at the bar the two uh women there who are called the tonica sisters they're there oh. as well they're watching what's going on and as the droids leave we get a reaction shot from um an alien that looks like greedo but it's not greedo um this one's called niche okay and he's sat with the world war one the ga world war one gas mask guy is now sat down and uh yeah you've got a greedo type called niche there okay mm -hmm. all right uh, we then get a long shot across the bar as Luke joins Ben, and you can see Walrus Man and Dr. Everzan. They're already sidling up for trouble. <laughs> and uh, Luke orders a drink, and it's really rude. He, he reaches across the bar and, like, tugs on the bartender's yeah. top, doesn't he? And goes, no, I'll have no, one of those. I, no, I'm surprised he didn't get punched in the face. <laughs> yeah, he, he should have been chucked out just for that. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you if you know Derek, but when when you see the bartender there and he's giving him his drink, you get a really good shot of the back of the bar and the drink dispensers that are behind him. And the drink dispensers that are behind him are actually uh, IG88's heads. Oh yeah. So what? So what is IG88's heads? It must be another piece of airplane. I'm glad you asked me that. Um, yeah, it's another Roger Christian special. It's a Derwent combustion chamber from the engine of a Gloucester Meteor, which was a, Brit a British fighter plane of the 1950s and 1960s. Uh, yeah, Roger Christian, when he went to these uh, aircraft scrapyards, he brought up a ton of stuff, including these combustion chambers. And um, yeah, in Empire Strikes Back, it becomes um, IG-88's head. But here, 
there's four or five of them lined up in a row, and they're some sort of like, um, yeah, drink dispensers. I know um, Ty Tiger was the uh, props man on Phantom Menace, and, and they kind of did similar things, but not quite as well. Because uh, I know that the uh, uh, Padme's silver ship, the interior cockpit of that, underneath, uh, uh, on the running along the bottom, were basically um, multiple Flymo covers, plastic covers, <laughs> spray. Uh, and then the most famous one is is the um, you communicator. You can say the shaver. Yeah, the lady shave. <laughs> and it's, um, but even but but then it gets worse because even in the last Jedi, I noticed uh, at the end. Uh, he holds up a pair of binoculars, and it's just—it's a Super 8 camera, and it hasn't mm. even been. Nothing's been added to it. It's yeah. just, <laughs> and it's a little bit lazy. Whereas uh, I like, I suppose you know, going for aircraft. Not many people are familiar with the internal uh, parts of aircraft, but yeah. it but it looks interesting, and and I love the idea that there's multiple IGA eight heads somewhere <laughs> stuck yeah. up. In, it's the way you use them as well i mean you know famously in alien in the nostromo a lot of the cladding on the walls are plastic milk crates but because you know you're not expecting to see plastic milk crates and they've been painted up and dirted down so well your brain that's what i mean that's the beauty of it because your brain says it looks familiar so therefore it looks real but but you have no reference in your head where it came from yeah yeah all right luke looks around and we we see that there's a bosk type lizard person um who's i can't even say this they've named him sator kalfas and he's <laughs> tapping he's tapping the the head of the little guy who's called rykard rijard i told you there's backstories for all these characters oh, yeah i can't believe got... there's so much i mean i knew yeah. i knew the uh i knew the um, expanded universe existed but i had no idea that, that the detail that every probably every single element of star wars has been thought about what where did that come person come from what does that do you know yeah. i i urge anyone who's a fan of star wars and wants to know more about any of these things to go across to the sister show star wars in character because you know each episode they take an obscure character and um look into their back history and uh, some of them are, are, are so ridiculous it's untrue the next two aliens that we see you see these two like faceless aliens they're just like they've got a mouth no nose and rather large eyes and it looks like they're having a that, that, that bit oh, yeah, of yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they were just the subject of uh, styles and character a couple of weeks ago, and apparently they're a husband and wife. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So... Yeah, they're having a domestic. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Um, so we then get one of my favourites in this whole cantina, um, Dice Ibergon. Now, Dice Ibergon is the snake-like creature that pops up. Um, it's sort of like dark awesome. flesh-coloured. With um, with like fangs at the front. Yeah, you know the one I mean. Yeah, it's like an ostrich, kind of raises up. Yes, yeah, yes, and and, and with hammerhead. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's trying to talk to a really rubbish Wolfman mask, and he's been yeah. given a character called Lach Sivrak. <clears throat> and here we get a change for the special edition. Um, the r- rubbish Wolfman mask. He's replaced by that tusked thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which again, it, it it's like, but this is rubbish, you know. Yeah. But Dice Ibergon, um, is as I say, is a favourite of mine. I'm I'm I've made my own Dice Ibergon, and it was it was good fun to try and make full size, work out just how big it was and stuff like that, you know. And um, yeah, that was good fun. I've got my own Dice Ibergon, um, but 
Dice Ibergon was devised by Phil Tippett. Okay. Oh, wow. And it's basically a hand puppet that fits over Phil Tippett's whole arm. Yeah. And originally, it was supposed to have drooled red liquid. They say red liquid. I don't know if they mean blood, but it was supposed to have drooled red liquid. And um, they did a few test films of this thing, dribbling this red liquid. And Gary Kurtz called George Lucas over and said, here, look what they're doing here. <laughs> but they thought it was just too gross um, that they they cut out any of the um, the dribbling affair. I bet, yeah, because it, it was probably intended to be dribbled, but then probably looks a bit too gory or something. Yeah. For, for used to yeah. figure yeah. and pull out, yeah. So, as you say, we've got Hammerhead now as well, who who, uh, who has a name and a backstory. He's called Mo More Nadon. And yeah, he's a little favourite of mine, because, simply because he looks uh, uh, alien-like. You know, he doesn't look anything human at all. No, um, uh, apart from that T-shaped alien at the beginning, this is the first yeah. two proper proper aliens we've seen. And I've I, I've always been fond of Hammerhead because he was one of the first action figures that ever came out. And that's even though I was sixteen, it's like, that's oh, exactly I've got to have it. He was one of my first Star Wars figures. <laughs> I reckon he must have uh, captured the imagination of a lot of kids then. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, he is, I, I, the, the action figure was a bit silly. He, he was wearing some sort of like you know swimsuit. Thing, yeah. wasn't he yeah. um and of course they gave him legs and this hammerhead is had no legs it, it was just his torso and his head he did have arms but you didn't really see them in 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 shot but he there was somebody behind him operating his arms but uh that was never included i just like the idea his eyes could not possibly be in a human eye to be <laughs> in that position you know so so therefore it it really did look alien like you know yeah yeah all right, so ne next, here we go. We're coming up to the, the action scene. Ponda Baba, or Walrus Man, as uh, yep. he was known for such a long time, <laughs> picks the fight. Um, and um, Dr. Everzan, the uh, the human guy with the uh, prosthetic on his face. Who um, sadly died recently, I believe. He did, he did, yeah. yeah it, it was a guy by the name of Alfie Curtis, and again, he was from the Ugly Agency. But for the longest time, it, it wasn't until um, Star Wars in Character featured him, I thought he was played by a guy by the name of Derek Deadman. Now, you might not know his name, but you would know him. He was in a ton of British stuff all through the 70s and 80s. He was always in the two run Ronnies. And I remember he was a recurring uh, character on Sooty and Sweep. He was always on Sooty and Sweep. And for the longest time, I thought that was him, but it's not. It's Alfie Curtis. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, yeah, we have the, the classic, you know, picking the fight scene. And and really, I mean, you know, after since the, you know, the very opening of Star Wars, this is really our first action moment since the blockade runner was captured, yeah, isn't it? it is. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, and, and very rare in this Star Wars in that we've got a shot of blood when Ponderarm Ponda Barber's arm comes off. You've yeah. actually got blood on the floor with the arm, which was the, which is the second uh, most violent sort of shocking scene for you certificate. I mean, the first for me was the burning skeletons of Owen and La Owen Lars and mm. and Aunt Peru. It does but, make you wonder, you know, with the board certification of the seventies, you know, do they think because it is it is out and out space fantasy that you can allow? those burnt-up corpses, you can allow blood here. Yeah. And also in Empire Strikes Back, of course, you've got the Tauntaun's guts yeah. being cut yeah. open, you know? Which is not so bad, but, but yeah, I think 
definitely, I think they kind of um, they didn't take Star Wars seriously, and so therefore they just thought, and uh, maybe they, maybe they didn't watch it all. I don't know, but no, because no. I just think because the depth, you know, you think um, he's an orphan already. <laughs> He has yeah. no parents, and then for his adopted parents to be smouldering like that—it's the most <laughs> horrific thing you can imagine. Um, and, and it's done so well as well. I mean, it, it, those twisted skeletons are, are pretty disturbing, I think. Mm. Oh yeah, you freeze frame that, and that grim—they really are. But then going back to uh, you know the, the two characters that are about to um, to uh, start a fight with Luke, um, I. I, first, I remember being a ch- being being young and, and finding this fascinating. These two characters, because you got one one guy who's deformed and a disfigurement on his face that you just can't help look at, and then the other guy, the walrus man, who's got this. <laughs> it's like a I don't know. It's a cross between a pair of testicles and a, and a, and a monkey's <laughs> bottom for a mouth, and it <laughs> and it is and it and I, I'm sure it's probably very hard plastic. You know, when you when you touch it, but it looks really fleshy and really convincing and um yeah I, I was fascinated by both of those characters yeah that, both those things you're talking about on his face they're not hard plastic i went up to london last year that the star wars what was it called identities no oh, star right. wars identities at the o2 and yeah, yeah ponda baba's mask is in there in a cabinet and huh? it's 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 all latex because it's rotting away like mad yeah. i'll put a photo up because it it's it's he's in quite a sad state Poor old Ponda Barber. He needs remaking. Just he for does. Yes. Nostalgia reasons. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, there's quite a famous discrepancy here as well uh, to do with arms. Do you know about Walrus Man's arms? What does he cut off the wrong arm or something? No. What it is is that if you see production stills of Ponda Barber, his arms, his hands are like well, they're almost like clamshells. Or, or um, coconut shells. Each, oh, right. yeah. each one is two halves of coconut shells. He's shell. got a hairy hand, isn't he? But he's got a hairy wolf, a wolfman hand, yes. Yeah. So yeah. so as Matt says on Star Wars in character, that's an easy fix. Why why has nobody ever done this? Because you, you, you don't have to put it in. You, 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 you know, you can film it separately and just edit it that in. That's that's easy. But I also, feel... again, I'll, I'll put it up on Facebook. There's... His head was meant to come off as well. There's there's stills of not only the arm on the floor and the gun on the floor, but his severed head is on the floor. And there's a guy smoking a pipe, and he's putting the Kensington gore all around the stump of the neck. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, well, that's, that's obviously... I mean, there must have been a point where George decided, uh, what certificate does this need to be? And um, yeah. And those things got cut out, or, you know... He overstepped the mark and realised he had, and, and pulled yeah. back. Um, I like, I like as well that this is the original Star Wars, and in the original Star Wars, if you get cut by a lightsaber, you bleed. There's none of this cauterising a wound uh, yeah. or anything like that, you know. Uh-huh. You know, blood squirts when you get cut by a lightsaber. <laughs> yeah. All right. Where, where, where are we? Right. Everyone goes back to their drinks. Uh, there's a tall, lanky guy smoking what looks like a hookah or something and he's called Danik Jericho and apparently according to the EU he's an assassin and a bounty hunter who feeds on the brains of his victims uh, yeah, th- yeah th- now that would be an interesting um, yeah. one Star Wars film <laughs> and apparently that day that Luke and Ben wander in he was uh, eyeing up Han Solo he was, he was going to go after Han Solo that day because of the bounty or just because he, he fancied uh... he fancied his brains I guess <laughs> yeah, 
Um, we're outside now, and you've got a guy with a tash who looks like Cliff Claiborne. He's grassing them up. Um, <laughs> and we've got changes here. Again, unnecessary changes. In the original, you've got a guy talking to the stormtroopers, saying, look, there's trouble in there. Now, on the left, there's a pretty rubbish CGI stormtrooper getting off a pretty rubbish CGI dewback. Absolutely no reason for it, other than to say, oh, look what we can do. Yeah, yeah, pointless. Yeah. So we're back to the band, the band's playing for a bit, and then we get our introduction to Han Solo. And I love the way that they've edited this. I don't know if this is, as you say, George Lucas's wife, but the yeah. first time we see him, he's always halfway sliding into his seat, isn't he? Yes. Yeah, and because that, I think he was flirting with some women before. Yeah, yeah, he was. There, there are delete. There's a girl called Jenny that he yeah. was um, flirting with. Yes, yeah. But the way this is done is just somehow the way that he's halfway through sitting down and say it says his name as he's doing it. It just seems to make him so much cooler. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know what you mean. Right, so we're going to fast forward a bit now because now we've got the dialogue about 15,000 and, you know, trying to haggle uh, a, a ride um, off planet. So we're going to fast forward a bit to the Greedo scene. Um, ben, Luke and Chewbacca, they've all cleared off. Um, and here we are at the Greedo scene. Now, the original cantina thing um, done in London, um, there was a guy by the name of Paul Blake played Greedo. Yeah. But now he's played by a lady by the name of Maria de Aragon. I thought it was Aragon, yeah, but it's not. It's Maria de Aragon. Which I, I, I the first time I questioned that was uh, was I knew that the Greedo was a guy, uh, certainly in the credits or whatever. And then I bought a um, it was a, a giant Star Wars book in the sort of uh, mid nineties. I got it from Forbidden Planet in Newcastle. And it was like a hundred pounds. It was like a compendium with a beautiful hardback case and in there was just loads of behind the scenes photos beautiful photographs and in there was a picture of um greedo in costume with with some high heels on <laughs> yeah. <I was> like, <laughs> and that's my first indication that there was maybe more than one person playing playing greedo <laughs> yeah you're absolutely right yeah again i'll put them up on facebook there's a there's a couple of shots yeah she's wearing like white high heels <laughs> but yeah yeah yeah, for, for for this extra scene where they redid it in America, they used the original mask, and Doug Beswick, he had added a small mechanism um, to work the mouth, um, but right, yeah. but it broke just before filming. Um, but they wanted the mouth to move. Now, can you guess how they got the mouth to eventually move? Her twitching her nose. She was twitching something. A jaw. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll tell you. They gave her a clothes peg and told yeah. her to hold it in with her teeth. With and her then teeth. She just, oh. Yeah, and she just wiggled it around. <laughs> so when you <laughs> when you see that mouth moving, that's her just frantically, you know, wriggling <laughs> her clothes peg around. Yeah, and then you, and you come up with the uh, you come up with the words later to match the the. Yeah. Movement. <laughs> <laughs> which which is fantastic, and this is why I like old school Jabba special effects. You know, Oscar. <laughs> see, I said you were a fan. Okay, well, I still right. remember it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, the the shooting scene, Derek. Can I ask your opinion of it? What do you think of the whole who shot first? Uh, well, it, uh, it it was another it was another ridiculous special edition thing. The same kind of stupidity as removing walkie talkies from ET. 
Yeah. Uh, sorry, re- replacing guns with walkie-talkies and ET. Yeah. It's uh, you know w- whether it's whether it was right or wrong, it was done in 1977, and and whatever changes you shouldn't. I don't think you should ever change film. Uh, it's like changing history, isn't it? Mm. And um, but beyond that, Han Solo is a scoundrel. He's a pirate, and just like Indiana Jones, he'll do whatever it takes in order to win. Yeah. And uh, and he he saw it coming. He knew that at the end of this conversation, um, he either was going to have to go with Greedo or Greedo was going to shoot him. And so he did what any anyone would do first, which is shoot him under the table before he notices yeah. and distract him with a bit of uh, chit-chat. And the way he's just sort of relaxed, his arms back, and he's kind of looking up and just giving that, I don't care. I'm, he's almost giving a cocky thing like to, yeah. to fall, wasn't it? And and so playing it out in a different way just doesn't work. And, and also just the angles and everything else, it just looks clumsy. I don't it like looks it clumsy. It looks stupid. I mean, I mean, there's been multiple attempts at it, you know. I mean, the first one, which was Greedo firing first and missing, and so it's bloody yeah. stupid. And yeah. and I, I think the the final tweak was they both shoot at the same time, and Han yeah. happened to fire first. And George Lucas has said that you know. Uh, Greedo was always supposed to fire first, but they they never had the time to do it properly. But I think that's tosh. I really do. And even if I mean, it, maybe it was, but but if it was, it was wrong. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, if, if you really wanted, right. uh, if you wanted him to shoot to miss, then you know you had to at least do a cutaway of Han Solo putting some chewing gum in the in the end of his gun or something. <laughs> so, it flies off a different angle. No, the original, the original, no, is fantastic, and it, it just shows you that this guy is so cool, and don't mess yeah. with him. And he, uh, you use the right word there. He's a scoundrel, and he's a pirate. You know, yeah, and it totally sets up his character for, for the rest of the film. Yeah, 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 and and the next thing that happens again enforces it because you know he shoots Greedo's, Greedo's head goes down, and uh, he just nonchalantly walks past the bar. Flips a coin. Sorry about the mess. <laughs> about the mess. And, yeah. and, and and walks out. And, and throws him a coin, I think, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. But what <laughs> I like, when, when he goes up the steps as he's done that, I always look bottom right corner. There's a guy at the table, okay, and yeah. he's been called Mosep, okay, and he's got it, I don't know, it looks like a Tupperware container, you know, and he's trying to hold it to drink it, and it's painfully obvious the person inside that mask can't see what he's doing, you know, and he's fumbling away like mad at this at this Tupperware container, and that always makes me smile. And I always think of him because in the Marvel Comics adaptation of the film, the Jabba the Hutt scene was in it, but they didn't use that Dermot guy or whatever he was, you know, the, the chubby Welshman. They actually used this guy. They used this guy's uh, mask. That was what Jabba the Hutt was supposed to look like. All right. Yeah. Okay. So that's it. That's uh, uh, that's us at the end of the sequence. Han Solo wanders off, and uh, the sequence ends. And so, as is traditional with this show, I've got to ask for a rating off of you now, Derek. <laughs> now, what I'd like to do, you, yeah. you you gave me this idea, you know, pre-show. Shall we vote for the original, and then we'll vote for uh, the tweaked version? So, if you can give me a vote out of ten for your uh, for the original version, please. Uh, the original version, I have to, I have to give it ten out of ten, just because it's a classic. It's 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 so difficult to 
<coughs> to 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 give it anything else now, just because of the longevity of it all, and and um, and that it 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 totally stunned people when they saw it. And um, so I'd give it a ten out of ten. The special edition, I would. Uh, I would give it, it's knocked it back down to about six out of 10, I would say. <laughs> Purely for that, for that um, Han Solo shooting error and the uh, replacing the monsters with kind of, it swung the, swung the opposite direction. So, so some of those creatures may have been a little bit too animal like and familiar, mm. um, but, but the other ones just looked out of place and CGI and, um, not particularly original. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, the original for me, uh, it, it's great fun and it's a classic iconic scene. Um, but some of the masks do let things down a tad. <laughs> I'm going to give it an eight. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> if you give it a 10, I give it an eight. That gives it an average of a nine. Yeah. Nine out of 10. Um, and I'm joining you in a six for the special edition because, yeah, the, the, the alterations are just not good, are they? Uh, they, they just uh, they, they take away so much from mm. from the, from the actual film, from the story, and from the actual enjoyment of that scene. Mm. Yeah, fair enough. All right, well, that's us done then, Derek. Well, thank you very much. Uh, so uh, thank you very much for today. No problem. Enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, so did I. I've, I've got a hankering to go back and watch it again, and I know which of the two versions I'm going to watch. So... <laughs> Yeah. Th thanks for that, Derek, and uh, no I'll speak to you soon. Yep, take care. Cheers, then. Bye bye. Bye bye.